Hey guys, um, look, I just wanted to tap in really quick. I just got this feeling, man, um, that this summer is, uh, it's about to be a white boy summer. Bottom line here, gentlemen, is it's time for us to evolve. Welcome to the Dixie Poles Podcast. I'm Travis. Today we are celebrating and talking about White Boy Summer. We have two guests on tonight, uh, Scott Tungay from Courage My Lads and uh, Jacob from The Wardrobe. Uh, Luke's a little late, but he will be joining us shortly. And um, without further ado, we are Southern Men Deconstructing the South. I've been catching your live streams uh, here lately, and uh, one, I didn't know you were live streaming or else I'd have been watching much sooner, but... I'm uh, very encouraged by, by by what I'm seeing over there. Thank you, sir. And it's uh it's kind of interesting to see how people on different sides of the country right now are having the you know similar ideas pop off, and then we're you know networking via the interwebs and creating yeah. a um, long distance networking group. Now, if we can just get pods in between each one of them, so we can make better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the future of Christendom, man. It's going to be all these little hubs of dudes who, uh, you know, because all you really need locally is like 10 families and, and you're solid. You know, you feel like you can conquer the world. Right. So, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a great re- resettling from from the online world to to little little pods, little hubs all over the place. It's the diaspora model. I think it's going to be exciting, man. You were going to say something, Jacob? I'm sorry. I'm I'm still I'm still uh distracted right now trying to get my kids to bed. No, no I'm just I'm listening for now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, because I kind of even see it. This, you know, I mean, just the way my brain works, it pulls things from different sides of the universe and pulls them together. Um, but the way I kind of see our society is going to break down is um is very much like a Bitcoin node. You know, you got nodes everywhere across. It's totally decentralized, but it comes together as one entity type thing. If that makes yeah. any... It, it's it's like a decentralized institution. Actually, that, that might yeah. have just coined something. I'm going to have to think on that one. Look at you. A, a decentralized institution. And, and kind of in the same way, you know, we had... um, uh, Families are going to start being more... Uh, what's the word for it? Uh, clannish, you know, yeah. as we saw in previous past, where you just have pockets of people, certain families right there, and then they just keep moving further south, further west, expanding, kind of like what we saw in earlier America. Yeah, I think with your decentralized idea, I mean, we're talking about Christendom, right? A lot of guys get church confused with christendom you know the church is like one venue one pastor one building and we get so caught up in guarding our one church when christendom requires a decentralized you know if if we're going to build christendom it's going to be thousands of churches it's going to be thousands of families it's going to be thousands of towns um you know we thousands of clans like you say and i think we need we need to really especially for us who aren't in the ministry domain we need to have this very wholesome view of Christendom 
being decentralized, it isn't just one guy's church uh, that controls Christendom. Um, and I think that's going to be a huge thing going forward as well as not only a clan system, not only like the, the extended families and, and local areas and tribes, uh, but, but a correct understanding of, you know, what it means to be a Christian with, you know, like a lot of guys talk about Catholicity, you know, where I, I feel there's a, a huge shift from wanting to kill each other over doctrinal issues to now being like, yeah, well, as long as you keep your doctrinal issues in your church, we can go and, and uh, fight libs together. I feel there's been a huge shift there. Right. I mean, I, I've definitely become a lot more ecumenical. Um, I mean, I'm hanging out with the Orthodox, and, and um, <laughs> so Orthodox. I'm even hanging out with some Catholics, that kind of thing. Just kind of, I can't type and talk at the same time. I'm sorry. It's okay, ADIQ gang, man. We we'll we'll struggle through this together. ADIQ, ADIQ. Speaking of which, here he is. What's up, guys? Luke, how you doing? Brain farted on time. That is my bad. I apologize. Everyone listening, guys, you guys made it out. My bad. So you're good. We, we were just talking about the advancing of Christendom. But yeah, like uh, Jack H. Sun says, um. Or, uh, that's how Baptists spread to the largest denomination that we just went out and started churches and without the, into the politics. Uh, that there was some bad things about that, but also some really good things about that. One, it's it basically created civilization out west, but at the same time, it didn't have the the discipleship element of it to actually make a lot of them stick. I mean, you know, that's. That's how a lot of them, you know, like the Northern Baptists, they basically went off into heresy. That's the reason the Southern Baptists are going off into heresy is because we're sending out these um, not not exactly theologically robust guys to plant churches, and then there's no men to actually stand up in the church to do it. But uh, mm -hmm. I digress. Yeah. So I know I've... Yeah. I've... <laughs> I've spoken about this in our, our podcast before, but, you know, I, I'll talk to guys down here, you know, they could be pastors at a church or, you know, deacons, elders, you know, whatever their polity is. And, uh, you know, they'll look at you like you're stupid if you say something about, you know, the Trinity, like how important the Trinity is, how central it is to Christian doctrine and, and practice. And uh, they just, they don't even know how to explain the Trinity, much less develop it with any kind of depth um, you know just kind of speaking to the whole ignorance thing um, you know that's pervasive you know in the Bible Belt right now and that's unfortunate because it's the Bible Belt they should know that uh, but they don't have any sense of history they don't have any sense of a robust doctrine they don't have any any sense of uh, depth to their theology Yeah, and maybe that's the uh, the great tragedy of liberalism in the uh, in the seminaries. You know, you had Harvard and uh, uh, what is the other one? Yale, I presume. But you had all these amazing yeah. Christian institutions, which have been liberalized and captured and subverted. And whatever Christian institutions we still have, 
there's a incredible uh, fear of you know deep deep academic galaxy brain work um, because you're you're dealing with things such as equality and equity and gnostic drivel mm-hmm. one of the yeah, reasons, exactly one of the things that i think that causes that is that excuse me we take these institutions and we centralize them okay back to the whole decentralization thing right but you know we take in the we take the pastor out and we go send him off to school to as you like to as you like to say the priestly boys we go make them the priestly boys instead of having him trained in his own church and discipled under his pastor and then also working in like the real world so now they're racking up all this debt they're beholden to a um you know beholden to the bank now because they have student loans and they're getting paid eh, twenty thousand dollars a year to be a pastor and he don't know how to make any other money because he's never known but that's well the model's completely off i mean it's used to you read about you know even New England Puritans and even the Southern Presbyterians. I mean, the way they did their churches, they discipled men and they raised up pastors within their own congregations, right? Yeah. Now you now you got a guy that goes to seminary, comes out with a degree, and literally blasts resumes across the entire U.S. You know, there's there's a local church here that I know of that uh, <clears throat> was looking for a pastor. I mean, they were getting resumes from California, from Germany, from and it just it's so it's so backwards at the end of the day that you know a, a pastor is supposed to be a shepherd of a local church but let me drive across the country to try to shepherd a flock i know nothing about in a place i have no experience in it's just stupid at the end of the day well dude think of where we were when we were like 21 22 23 like imagine i'm like right now i'm like whoa like finally getting to a place where you know, I'm just trying to understand life a, a little bit better than my whole 20s. I still wouldn't presume to try and pastor, you know, people who are going through crazy stuff that I've never gone through. Yeah. Right. And, so it's, the, it's, the youth, it's the youth pastor, right? The, the, the 20-year-old youth pastor is going to disciple uh, teenagers. It's a party. On, you know, have a, have a, have a sermon series on, on Psalms of Solomon or something. You know what I'm saying? But but to segue a little bit, you know, I don't I don't think I'm segueing a whole lot. What you were saying, Jacob, about that you take them out of their place and they're scattered across the country, you know, or they send resumes across the country. That's exactly what White Boy Summer is about. Is you're growing and enriching your place for your people. I mean, Hashtag for people for place. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, that, that's essentially what the whole decentralization is. I mean, we're not going to go back in time. We're going to have to live with the technology that we have right now. But at the same time, we must progress as, a, as you know, as people right now in, into this next, like conservative, you great to conserve things, but you actually need to go and, you know, conquer the world also and learn how to, you know, Christians were ill-prepared for the Industrial Revolution, just as an example. Or, you know, and, and we let it run all over us. Now we're a materialistic nation because everything is nothing but spinning gears and wheels. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but I think I got my point across. 
Well, I think that kind of gets into the the criticisms of libertarianism that we had. You know, the affinity that we have for libertarianism as quote unquote conservatives, you know, has a lot to do with the fact that economics kind of dominated uh, America. Like it dominated our thoughts. It dominated how we perceived reality. And libertarianism is just a natural quote-unquote right-wing way of viewing things through an economic lens, whereas, you know, Marx is all about uh, what's got to be, you know, you got to have equity in economics. Um, libertarianism basically says you got to have quote-unquote freedom in economics. Uh, the, the thing that we've lost in that, in that framework and kind of, you know, getting to, to what you're talking about, Travis, uh, we've kind of lost the whole idea of virtue. Uh, I, I show for this book all the time, but After Virtue by Alistair McIntyre did a really good job of of getting into this. And if you if you see where he's coming from, and you follow the line of reasoning from the Enlightenment to the current day, you see how these ideologies are really necessary results of this. It, it, it's kind of this weird juxtaposition of uh, a, a Gnostic view of spirituality with a highly materialistic view of literally everything else, uh, as if it's trying to rip apart nature and spirit. Yeah, um, Richard talks about the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So finish your thought there, Luke. So what, what were you going on there with from the, the libertarian freedom of economy and, and this Gnostic idea? Well, well, so, uh, yeah, I, I, got a, I got a little sidetracked there, but the, the, the whole idea was um, uh, the reintroduction of virtue into our way of thinking as a primary way of thinking um, means that there's a the holistic way of approaching things. Uh, and, and I think, you know, kind of to, to bring in the tagline here, I think the white boy summer really gets to this. Uh, if, if, if what you believe isn't tangibly workable, if it doesn't meld the spiritual and the natural together to create a holistic mode of being that you can approach life towards, then, you know, what you're doing is you're either talking principle, uh, yeah. divorced from reality or on the other end, you're talking uh, sheer pragmatism of I just have insert X goal and I can go do that, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. And in both cases, you really validate the liberal worldview. Um, this you can be anything you want to be, um, you know, your physical limitations, your mental limitations, your spiritual limitations. These are things that should be overcome necessarily. You should not embrace the whole of who you are, including your limitations, because part of you being a creature means you're limited. And this whole idea is to make you God in a very real sense. Um, I, I was I was listening to a, a Jordan Peterson um, a speech earlier today, and he, he gets into this because Marx really wanted to direct them. And in, in one of his poems, he quotes. Uh, someone else, I'm not I'm not sure who, but he quotes someone else talking about the goal of his ideology is to make each man 
to revolve around himself as if he is his own son, S-U-N. So literally to make each individual the center of their own reality. And that, that's really like the core of libertarianism. That's the core of Marxism. And they pull away from this holistic way of looking at life. And so the, the way to push back against this is to really bring back, you know, this I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent. I apologize. But, you know, this is this is kind of what got me into Thomism because Thomism kind of perfectly melds this together. The theological and the natural are not so distinct. They're both very imminent to you. And so you have to live in both worlds simultaneously. Um, and I, I guess that's where I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately getting, getting to with my libertarianism critique is it tries to divorce the spiritual from the natural in this way. Oh, you yeah. can go be X spiritual person, but this is the only way to deal with economics. And it's really not. Yeah. Sorry, that, that was the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I'll uh, jump in on, on what you said there. I, I think there's a huge, one of the reasons that Christianity is so hard and that nationalism is so hard and that it's pushed against so hard by by the liberal, uh, by the Gnostic, mm. is that Christi true Christianity is hard. It's it's not just the salvation experience. It's not just emotional worship or prayer experience, but it's also a hard working out of moral moral virtues, moral actions, choices, limitations uh, that go against the grain of our sinful nature. Uh, and it's the same with nationalism. You know, the reason nationalism grates so hard against libertarians especially is because you're you're placing limitations on freedom you're saying hey if you love your people and you love your place we're not going to just have the cheapest labor that we can get we're not just going to have the cheapest manufacturing that we can get because that's not loving to our people or our place and and so there's so both christianity and nationalism require hard discipleship pra praxeology or, or practice that is not really required if you're just Gnostic or liberal and going along, uh, you know, with these concepts of these concepts basically just excuse um, your sinful nature and they excuse not doing anything and they excuse your comfort uh, rather than hard choices. Yeah. So the other really yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you reminded me. I was trying to think of of what when you were talking. It reminded me of. Uh, quote you know that it was by weaver um it's on the, the that idea of the progressive mind he calls it faustian uh, faustian um and this is a quote by richard weaver he said the faustian man is essentially a restless striver a yearner after the infinite a hater of status a man who is unhappy unless he feels that he is making the world over he may talk much of tolerance but for him tolerance is an exponent of power his tolerance tolerates only the dogmatic idea of tolerance as anyone can discover for himself by getting to know the modern humanitarian liberal for different opinions and ways of life he has not respect but hostility or contemptuous indifference until the day when he can be brought around to conform with his own and I think what you were talking about uh, ties into what Weaver is getting at too with the Faustian man there 
Yeah, well, and and the you know the the ironic thing here, Lewis kind of called this out in uh, the abolition of man, uh, man seeking to dominate nature. Uh, we we we've talked about you know this difference between dominion that man is supposed to rightfully practice versus domination of nature. Right now, our system our mm -hmm. is trying to dominate nature. We're trying to force nature to do things, even things that nature itself is a, 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 like a force, right? Yep. Uh, and so what ends up happening is man becomes slave, becomes a slave to nature itself instead of being its rightful master. And so a way in which this works, uh, you know, speaking specifically to the libertarians, uh, and you know, I'm saying this as someone who could remember myself uh, at one point responding in the affirmative to this question. Ask a libertarian if they would be okay with limited uh, a limitation on ideas if they could eliminate scarcity of resources. And they will say yes. They will accept a limitation on your ability to think if they can eliminate scarcity of resource. Uh, and they and they live that out, whether they affirm that or not, they will live that out. And so you see this, you know, 20, uh, the 2016 and the 2020 elections in the, in the United States, you see a lot of the libertarians, um, they'll side with BLM, they'll side with uh, uh, Antifa, they'll side with whomever uh, if they think they're going to get quote-unquote more freedom. But because they're so divorced from virtue, they don't understand that liberty, real liberty, is liberty mm -hmm. from passions instead of liber liberty from arbitrary restrictions, quote-unquote. And so they'll accept uh, you know, this, this quote in here, um, good quote, you know, I demand porn, and I will only buy the cheapest. That's literally where they'll go. They'll destroy any kind of virtue for a cheaper product, yeah. and they won't think twice about it. And and, and that's and that's his point, I think, here too, is that idea, that libertarian ideal of, of of tolerance at all costs. And what he says is, "quote Tolerance is an exponent of power." Seems at the bottom, that's yeah, what it is, you know. White boy summer hashtag. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think another thing you said there as well as as far as you know, uh, do you rule over uh, the tool or does the tool rule over you? You know, I, I think to an essence, in, in essence, with the libertarians, capitalism or the free market or uh, you know, uh, economics, economic freedom, however you want to call it, instead of being a tool that serves them, it's their god that they worship, and everything must bow to that you know so if you had to say to them like hey man you know will you love your people and love your place it's like yeah yeah man i'll love my people as long as it serves the free market as long as it serves capitalism but as soon as you put a limit on my free market or a limit on my capitalism i'm out yeah but they'll also ask who are my people what is my place yeah they're you know, individualists it, they're yeah it, individual. well yeah i mean that that and you know, no one actually has a tribe. Well, obviously, they don't have a tribe, but they don't even have, they don't even have, like, even in a broader scheme of things, they don't have a people group to belong to. 
you know so so i would look at my who's my tribe my tribe's my church and it's my family and then a few friends okay i don't let too many friends. yep <laughs> anyways and um but they 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 don't have that and they don't have any history on any like most of them are rootless you know most libertarians they they ran off to the big city because you know it had gold and whiskey right more money yeah more money i mean well gold um so that they don't have that that greater sense like they've they've sold who they are for a few worthless pieces of paper um yeah you know or just to get ahead in life just to be the you know the big shot at i've been at the same place for 30 <laughs> but um well and you can even read you can read hoppe you can read mises you know they always define you know marriage as an economic contract god himself has to bow to your free will according to a libertarian and when you talk to a libertarian, I've had Christian libertarians do this to me, quote-unquote Christian libertarians. You tell them about God's law puts this restriction on you, and they will weigh that against the nap. And if it, does, if it violates the nap, then they'll tell you you're wrong, even if God said it. Yeah. That's and old covenant, bro. That's old covenant. You can't, you oh, can't yeah. That's old covenant. Yeah. And, and I'm, hmm. you know, I don't know how many libertarians are actually listening, but, you know— I'm saying this as somebody who used to make these arguments. I mean, Travis, you've known me long enough. I mean, I've made these arguments before. I've I've been the little autist on the internet making all the libertarian arguments. I'm very aware. Um, it's our it's what we're born into as white boys. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, 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 I I'm not I'm probably the least extreme guy on this chat, but you know, I'm 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 sympathetic you. at least. Uh, yeah, I how very dare. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I mean, I'm. I, I'm on. I'm on board. It's. It's not a. I'm not setting myself against. I'm just saying that you know. I, I, I'm probably the mildest guy on the chat, just in terms of my. I'm very sympathetic or to, whatever. To libertarians, because again, that's where all of us have come from. Like at, at some stage, I would say ninety percent of white boys have owned a Gadsden flag. They have. Yeah. Toyed with libertarian economics with ANCAP with Mises and Hayek and uh, Ron Paul and, you know, name your name, your libertarian philosopher and economist, you know, probably Stefan Molyneux. I was big into him. Yeah. I'm very Molly sympathetic. Meme. Meme. I'm very sympathetic to, to that world because that's, that is the first escape. You know, when you realize that the world hates white people, uh, and I use the world just as a, you know, fill in whatever institution you want to put there. But the institutional, corporate, whatever, uh, it's hard to be white when everyone's attacking you for being white. So the first thing you do is to stop identifying as white. You're like, well, I'm not white personally. You know, personally, I'm an individual with great ideas. Um, and then when they won't stop attacking you, then you leave. So you're like, fine, I'm going to go to the woods uh, because you're all a bunch of retards. I'm going to go uh, metaphorically to the woods, but basically you just withdraw from everything. You withdraw from duty, you with, withdraw from public responsibility, you withdraw from, you know, clan or tribal responsibility. Um, and so you then, like, finally people will leave me alone because I'm no longer an evil patriarch. I'm no longer an evil white person. I'm an individual. I'm an I'm a enlightened individual. Uh, and they still don't leave you alone. And, and I think that's the road where a lot of us start. It starts clicking of, like, 
wait, you're going to call me a Nazi no matter what I do? And they're like, yes. And then you're like, okay, so what didn't, uh, so, <laughs> so I don't have to be a libertarian anymore? No, you're still a Nazi. So I think that's where a lot of guys start falling into, into tribalism or some form of more uh, praxeologically heavy, uh, not just economics, but, but political philosophy where we're like, I'm done being attacked. I'm done being disrespected. I'm done being the whipping boy. Uh, you know, I, I'm done cleaning my room. I've cleaned my room a lot. Uh, can we now go and clean the neighborhood and clean the institutions? Right. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the crux for me was one of that I couldn't live and, you know, power couldn't live in the vacuum. But anyways, is that, that I, makes sense. They, they will never leave me alone. Therefore I must go take power for myself in whatever way that I can. Uh, w once I understood that I had to do something and that I couldn't just, you know, vote for somebody or, or hope the entire world collapses and we go to, Fallout 4, which um, everyone's... <laughs> but we actually have to go and build society ourselves the way we want society yeah. to be built, like our forefathers did, you know? So in my area, um, you know, the, the South in general, you know, we, we didn't really have... We tried to build, and we did a dang good job when we actually built during, you know, like, you know, the Dixiecrat era. But we were still getting hit hard, and I think around about the 90s, definitely after 2001, the South just kind of went on a, like a, just started coasting, and we weren't the ones, you know, at the forefront anymore. We weren't the ones actually going out there and building and succeeding, and so now we've got a bunch of Yankee middle managers that are just being shipped down here by the literal dozen every day. Um well, that's the same thing with like education in Mississippi. All the teachers are Yankees, you know. It's they they hate Southerns and they come down. They teach Southerns bad history about the South. Um, you know, it's just uh, dealing with the teachers in public school was um, frustrating to say the least. Uh, I was originally homeschooled. And going to public school after being homeschooled was um, irritating. Uh, it was it was three three grades later. I'm learning what I learned when I was in homeschool, um, and the teachers didn't really know that much more than what they're telling you. Uh, they had some kind of specialized degree, and outside of that very narrow discipline, they they basically knew nothing, and so. <laughs> they're going to teach you whatever the, the history books teach you. And the history books were literally written to tell you that you're an evil white Southerner. You need to die. Well, since you brought up public schools, oh, one sec. Well, since you brought up public schools, it's very interesting that now public, you know, used to, you would learn with your tribe. You would learn what your tribe needs. To so when we went through um, Dabney on his um, secularized education, you know, he, we, we, we talked about how the South used to be educated that it would be small communities coming together, probably in a church, most likely in a church or a barn. They would come together and learn there. You would learn with your tribe. You would see these people every day. You would do chores side by side with them. And now we just rip the child out of the tribe and just place it 
like a um, like a microchip on a board into a, into a stool and expect them just to get you know receive and download all this knowledge. Knowledge that most of it you know is and, totally useless. And the useless problem with that lie. as well is that 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 knowledge is uh, it's globalized. So instead of having regional peculiarities or local peculiarities, you're all watching the same media and taking the same education as some dude who's up in New England. Right, and the and the the mode of education was designed by the behaviorists like Skinner to turn you into quote unquote the model citizen. And Dewey. Yeah, yeah, and Dewey. I, I bring out Skinner because he's the most like reprehensible of the bunch, but he's quoted like he has any actual intellectual clout. Yeah, just go read Democracy and Education by Dewey, and yeah. you'll see exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, they played the long game for sure. Very, very much so. so. So, I mean, now we need to start playing. Like, it, it's high time that we started playing the long game. And I think a lot of us have. You know, a lot of us are going out there and creating their own institutions, right? And in 50 years, yeah. who knows what they'll become. As long as they don't sell them out to the highest bidder once they turn, that's one of the biggest. Yep. Um, but um, and that's a that's an issue of vision. You know, if you start an institution, you've got to have a fifty to hundred year vision of, you know, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So an institution is an inheritance that you can lay up. So do you have a vision for this inheritance to go three generations? Then when someone comes to buy you out, you're you, then you're weighing the question. You know is this money better for my children's children or is the institution better? That's a fine question to ask. But if it's just sell it and then go play golf on a golf course, you know, that's, that's the problem. White boy summer does not allow that. No, not at all. White boy summer requires you not to sell the family farm just because it's, you know, worth mm-hmm. 20 times what it's actually right. worth. Yeah. That like giving that 20 times to your that. kids. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Wardrobe, you need to make a meme that says "White Boy Summer." There is no retirement, only death. <laughs> that sounds metal, right I, there. That can be done. You got to celebrate the good with the rad. That's right. Uh, I, I I saw an excellent little uh, little bit of conversation. Uh, the the new man rampant dropped, and uh, the the little conversation between. Uh, you know the guys. I think it was Foster and and Wilson. Uh, they said that you know, normally that those those passages, "I will never leave you or forsake you," they're putting they're put on top of an image of like a kitten or something cute or something soft. Uh, and he said, you know, really what ne- what that needs to be put on top of is like a picture of the Normandy storm, right? I'm gonna go storm the beaches. I will be with you always. <laughs> You know, something to that effect, right? I'm going to go face this catastrophic challenge, whatever that challenge may be, and uh, that's when God's telling you, "I will never leave you or forsake you." Mm-hmm. I think I think those kind of memes should be incorporated into this as well. I mean the the uh, the brashness that's part of these memes are good, but you know the the. The, we're, we're trying to instill uh, not instill but we're trying to encourage and instigate virtue right yep. and, and one of those yep. is you know real legitimate faith 
in Christ, because we are fighting Goliath right now. Um, it, Goliath's not unbeatable, obviously. You know, God used a little stone to kill the one in Scripture. The one we fight is going to be taken down by something probably insignificant like memes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that... You know, I, I'll I'll help, but you know, let's just incorporate that into it, so it's not just the. Well, you have the to cast a. You know, uh, I was listening again. I'm going to refer back to um, you, Scott. Uh, you you were saying you have to cast a positive vision for the future, and I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of the white boy summer memes are just absolutely. I think are doing that. Um, yep. So and it, so I mean, meme them to death, but just like abs. It's it's kind of like what Paul said. Heat coals upon their head. You know, we're not going to say anything bad. Like like the whole fight, laugh, feast debacle that happened um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, out of all the comments, the only one I saw spitting vinegar was some of the fight, laugh, feast guys. <laughs> like everybody else is just like, no, love your people, love your place. Yeah, you know, a little bit more yeah. involved than that, but still, I mean, it's just like, no, we should love our yeah. people. Oh. We should love our family. Which gets into yeah. the whole Gnosticism thing. I mean, who, who is my neighbor, I guess? Yeah. Because I think as far as, as you know, the, the conservative media uh, machine, you know, all they do is outrage about all the lib crap, clown world craziness. They never give a positive vision. You know, they're just like, oh, gang, I can't believe it. You know, would you believe it? Look at the hypocrisy. And all it does is get you outraged. It gets you demoralized. It, it gets you to fold. Whereas, man, this meme, this meme wave has been absolutely aspirational. You know, you see, you see um, it, it's manufacturing consent uh, for loving your people, loving your place, having a vision, going hard at your domain, you know, having a family, be a patriarch, build Christendom. And it's like, that there's no outrage there there's no discouragement there it's all aspirational it's encouraging it gives you hope you could be down in the doldrums and memes they they make you laugh they give you hope they they make you think of of a better future uh to to all of the despair that's being peddled to us yeah it's almost like you're advocating for you know christian masculinity yeah towards an end you know, Christian masculinity toward building Christendom, because that's that's been the problem with the, the manosphere is guys are getting really good at being masculine. And then it's empty because all they're doing is, you know, earning money to buy a sweet truck and then banging girls and uh, wearing nice clothes and having a good haircut. Like that's just individualism, libertarianism 101, uh, whereas we're saying take all of the tools, take all that that strong masculinity and now build a family, build a local economy, build your tribal institutions. You know, no one is, and, and credit to Jordan Peterson, you know, I, his whole thing of go clean your room that like, that's life changing for a lot of guys, because if you're sitting around in despair, what is the one thing you can control is your immediate environment. It gives you a sense of order. It gives you a sense of purpose. But you, you can't stop once you've cleaned your room. It's like now you clean your house, then you clean your 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 property, then you clean the neighborhood, you know, then you get together with a bunch of dudes. And I think here's the huge disconnect between conservatism and whatever the heck we are, is that conservatism, you can only go so far as an as an individual. You can't pack up and you can't pack together and take targets because you're just an individual. The individual always loses against individuals, against institutions. 
and against other packs or groups. And so I think the, the biggest thing with White Boy Summer is saying like, hey, we belong to something. We belong to someone, to some people, to some place. And, and that is, yeah. it's life-changing. No one's saying that. Well, that's why the memes are, are effective. Is because, you know, it's like a guerrilla meme warfare going on. And somebody said it, this isn't original with me, but memes are not logical, right? They're not dialectic. They're, they're pure rhetoric. Okay, and that's the problem with the left, right? Is the left tries to address these things logically. They try to refute logically. That's why they can't meme, right? The instant, but the, the moment we try to play that game, we lose. But these memes, right? It's pure rhetoric, right? You're putting, you know, Scott, you called a positive vision. And I like, I love that term um, because that's what we need. Because, you know, the, the white boys are getting blasted at every yep. turn, every angle in the culture from media education and sadly even the church i mean we're being culturally eviscerated right um we've been baptized unfortunately too long into thinking that any any approval any head nod any celebration uh, of your people your place your culture that's wrong think that's a thought crime and to put a meme out into the social media world right uh, that's just pure rhetoric. Hey, this is a picture of a white guy. He's having a good time. It looks yeah. rad. People people have a hard time with that. It's you know yeah it's satire, right? The left usually memes in irony, not satire. But I mean, a guy can look at that picture. It, it can be three words: white boy summer. And they read it. They see the image that's correlated with it, and man, they know. And uh, it's it's so effective. That's the thing. Like I like what one of you, I like what one of you put in the group chat today on or yesterday. Uh, the whole thing of guilt, you know, of the the atonement. The, there's a desire for atonement, and so one of the easiest yeah. ways to atone for our guilt uh, is to self punish and to punish those who uh, step out of line. Because you're mm -hmm. atoning to the liberal God. But, you know, for us as Christians, we have no none of this shame and none of this guilt because we're clean by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our atonement. Yeah. And so one of the, the things that really struck me, whoever put that, that comment in, in the group chat, but it's this thing of the reason so many Christians are against White Boy Summer, are against any form of nationalism, is because they haven't actually, for themselves, stepped out of the liberal religion repented of it put it away and stepped through the the baptism of of christ's blood of atonement into christianity yeah and so they must punish us performatively punish us to prove to the liberal religion that they are adherents and atoning their guilt yeah that's that's um i shared that one earlier that was that was actually from rush Juni. Uh, politics of guilt and pity and he makes a great point in that you know i call it um you know a guilt masochism and, it's, and i think it's especially um racially i guess you could say white people have a huge problem with guilt masochism right um i know you guys have probably seen that video have you seen that video of that uh that base dad at like a uh a school board meeting yeah, uh, he he's getting like dressed down by some Mexican guy or something, and uh, 
and all the little liberals are sitting there, you know, taking it on the chin, getting their daily dose of guilt masochism, right? And he he simply says, "Well, then leave, right?" Yep. Or what did what do you say? So why are you yep. here? Something like that. And it's a collective gasp, right? And the funny thing is, this is when you know, it's not that he what he said was wrong, right? Because they can't argue with facts and stats. Um, it's that he said it out loud. That was the crime. The crime was with that he said it out loud. He questioned it out loud. And that's the frame that, that most white people and, and, and especially white liberals are stuck in. And it's, it's this, it's a guilt masochism, right? And it is that need and urge for atonement, but that'll never be assuaged except for in Christ, like you said. So I think another way in which the memes are helpful, uh, <clears throat> so Peterson um, Jordan Peterson in Maps of Meaning kind of lays out the idea of play uh, and, you know, kind of demonstrates that play is really important for not only kids, but as adults. Um, you know, part of what play is, is you're inhabiting or, or um, thinking in certain terms to play with an idea. It's a way for you to take knowledge that you instinctively know but can't articulate uh, and make it verbal to to be able to articulate the idea through play. So I think the reason why the memes are so effective is because it speaks to things that are innate within us. It speaks to things that are a part of what you are fundamentally. And when you speak to something that fundamental, it's going to resonate with the person who's listening or who sees the meme. And yeah. when that resonates, there's an, a, 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 an enjoyment that you get from that, which is why the meme is funny, because you're actually yeah. interacting with it on a fundamental level of your own being, not just in your mind. And so yeah. you don't need much. Right. You don't need much, you know, quote unquote content within the meme. Uh, the one that I was I was looking at earlier that, you know, just. Thought it was amazing. I think I spooked somebody at work because I laughed out loud at it, um, uh, but was the one with St. George. You know, it's 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 dragon season. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. that's an amazing meme, guys. Like, seriously, slay your sins. But, you yeah. know, the whole the whole idea of being a dragon slayer is something that's just fundamental to men. Men want mm. to be that hero. They want to embody the role of St. George. And just with yep. that little meme, you're speaking to that fundamental part of what it means to be a man. And yeah, it resonates that's the, with that's guys. The that's, that's the vision, right? That's what Scott's right. talking about. You're giving someone, you're giving someone, especially a little white boy who's, who's been dressed down for decades right of uh, of having wrong think or a, a thought crime to even <laughs> attempt to be proud of who he is right and that's the other part of me too is when when the people see the meme it there has to be a little bit of a hey this isn't approved of you know i kind of like this yeah it's and, edgy. and that there's yeah there's an edgy counterculture kind of vibe to it right and that's why people like it as well because they know you put that out there into the social media sphere um you know you're gonna have people yeah they're gonna like it but you're gonna have people that are gonna be like well what is this 
what is white boy summer? That sounds pretty racist. Or if you're really edgy, that sounds kind of, quote, chemist. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the bogey yeah. word of the moment. Well, the, 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 does that miss. word have square, scare quotes around it? Definitely has scare quotes, yes. At least it doesn't have brackets or parentheses <laughs> around it. <laughs> well, there's only two Frankly. sets of parentheses because we all know what three sets mean. <laughs> two sets is chemist. One set is lame. And then three sets is shut down. Right. Yeah. Well, well the uh, getting back to uh, what we were saying a little bit about um, um, memes is that we, you know, as a culture, we've been so deprived of myth for so long that we're longing for that. And that's what memes are. Memes are we're writing myths. And, it, and once you, like, take the, uh, the St. George one, once you put that out there, you're like, yes, I'm in, I'm inspired by that. I, that. You know, that's great propaganda. Uh, there, there's a reason why billions and billions of dollars is spent on ads and propaganda, and that's because that's writing your myths. Yes, memes are mythos. That's exactly yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. You've never seen a good reaction. Like if you have boys and you read them the story of St. George and the dragon, like read that story to them and see how they react. Yeah. My, my boys think... went and made dragons out of Legos and started busting them on the floor. <laughs> I think uh, back, back to the, the theme, right? Of white boy supper. Um, I saw somebody who was a friend on Facebook that said something. And um, I thought it was really good. Uh, I think you guys would agree. The One of the other major themes, too, of, of White Boy Summer is really, at the end of the day, it is a, it's like punk rock, right? It's refusing to lend an ear to people that hate you. So, like, in, at the end of the day, I kind of call it joyful uh, apathy, right? Because so many people, I mean, I've had people message me, right? Concerned citizens concerned family members you know what is this white boy summer i looked on wikipedia this is what it said um but knowing that we're kind of not we're not lending an ear to that we're refusing to lend an ear to that and in that sense it is it is that kind of punk rock tone of we're here we're having fun we're not ashamed and we don't need permission right where whatever white boy summer used to be Right, I don't even know the origins. I know it started with like, uh, what was it? Chad uh, Hanks. Yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks or whatever his name is, his son or something. I'm like, we're well beyond that. We we've redeemed it. We've captured it for the glory of God, and this is what it is now. And uh, yeah, people have a hard time with that. We have Christian baptized. We have baptized white boy summer. It's it's reverse institutional Amen. capture. You know, the, the liberals don't care if they've captured a, a church or a place that had, you know, Christian roots. They just, it's theirs now. So this is ours now. We own it. And and so the, the, the goal here, and, you know, if we're not too careful, we'll, we'll start being mistaken for dominionists. But, um, you know, the, the whole goal here is that this doesn't stop with memes. This doesn't stop with the meme movement. Right. This this progresses beyond mere memes. You know, the 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 whole the whole liberal fear that, oh, they're they're not just coming for your abortions. They're also coming for your porn. 
you know, Andrew Torba said it best. Yes, we're coming for your porn too, <laughs> right? Like we're we're going to redeem our institutions if if that means that it has to get burnt down and we have we're to. We're coming rebuild. for the Nineteenth Amendment. It, we're coming for all of it. You're going to lose all of it, and we're going to take it back in the name of Christ, not to take it back for the the sheer sake of power. We're going to take power back. We're going to take it back for Christ. And we're going to honor God with whatever we get. All of that increases his anyways. Us trying to, to hoard it for ourselves is going to be nothing but make us lose it. God wills it. But then it's kind of like, uh, it just kind of spurred a thought in my head that um, when, when Christians were conquering Europe, you know, a lot of people want to bring out the whole Easter is pagan type crap. Well, I don't really give a crap if it's pagan or not. You want to know why? Because we have we, we have destroyed those pagan idols, and now it's Christian. You know, this holiday that you might have celebrated around the same time we celebrate the Lord's you know, rising? Yeah, it's Christian now. We, we've got that. We're tearing down your Bonifacio. idols. Bonifacio. What's that? Not the Boniface style. That's right, Boniface style. We're going to build churches out of your gods. That's what we're going to do. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, you go. No, I was just saying that's what men are supposed to do, right? I mean, it's, that's the virtue of man is that man conquers both the untamed and the evil and baptizes it in Christ and makes it honoring to Christ. That's what we're doing. That, that, that literally is at this point, it is white boy summer. And I think that's the essence of Gnosticism, you know, is that the hardware is evil. You know, the, the world is evil, men are evil, uh, everything is evil, so abandon everything. Yeah. Whereas for us, we're like, no, Christ sanctifies everything. And somebody put Sabaton in the, in the chat. Yes, yes. Sabaton, guys. <laughs> So if if we could label if we could define white boy summer, how would you put it in a definition? You know, so far we've talked, you know, we've 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 explored all the outer banks of it. What is like the sole core definition of white boy summer? It's four people, four place. But then how would we extrapolate that into actual um defining it? How would you define it is what I'm trying to ask. Who wants to go first? Jacob, you're running the you're running the White Boy Summer meme page. Yeah. Oh man, you know it's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot actually. Um. No pressure. No I, pressure. We're just live. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you want to boil it down to the simplest terms. You, you've already said it, right? The the hashtag for people for place, I think, is the simplest way to think about it. Um, but really, at the end of the day, White Boy Summer is what we've, what we've already talked about, right, with the positive vision, uh, reminding, yes, white boys, that they do have a people, and they are from a place. Yep. They have a tribe. They have a, an ancestral lineage, right? They're, they're not just, we're not Gnostics. We didn't appear out of thin air. Right, we can we can trace our roots. We're not rootless. It's just calling everyone back to that. Really, it's 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 reminding white boys that hey, you know what? To be proud of your people, 
to be proud of your place, where you've come from, right, uh, your ancestors, that's okay. It's not a thought crime. It's not wrong think to, it's not a to sin. write these things. It's not a sin. Amen. I mean, that's the thing. It's not a sin. And God, uh, God made it a law against tearing down the monuments to your people. Yeah, it's good. That's the thing. It's good. You know, there there was a big, uh, what was that? You know, it was real edgy to say it's okay to be white, right? And my uh, one of our buddies on there let us alone. Uh, he he made a good point a while ago. Said, you know, it's not just that it's okay. It's good. This is yep. who God made us to be, right? So it's embracing that, embracing the fact that you have a people, a place, a tribe, an ancestral lineage. It's okay to like those things and to love those things and to strive to to honor those things, right? I mean, it's the fifth commandment, right, at the bottom, the fifth commandment. Yeah, you're right. Look it up. It's the fifth commandment if you're Protestant. I think it's something else if you're Lutheran. I don't care about Lutherans. <laughs> uh, based. Yeah, I would I would say on top of that, it's it's also a thing of discipling the nations. You know, that's one of our mandates as as Christians, is to disciple the nations. And and so many Christians, you know, especially the the liberal or Gnostic Christians, they just you know, oh Lord, take me home. When's the rapture? When do we get to go home? And they're waiting on death as their savior. And then Christ, you know, he says to to Peter, he's like, you know, when Peter's saying, don't leave us, and he's ascending, it's better that I go, and I'll send you the Holy Spirit the comforter so that you can go and do what you know do greater works than i have done in in discipling the nations teaching them to obey me and so for me especially in america but but all around the anglosphere wherever you have white english speaking people the focus of the church is to love every other group to love every other nation to disciple every other group disciple every other nation you can only disciple a nation if you love it. You can only discipline the son that you delight in. You, you cannot yeah. discipline someone that you hate. You cannot discipline someone that you want to punish uh, and are ashamed of. You can only disciple a nation that you love. And so white boys in the Anglosphere, in my opinion, are the last unreached people group for Christ. We want to disciple the nation of white boys. And so in order to do that, you first have to love them. You first have to say, we acknowledge you, we see you, you have, you have grievances, you have interests. And so what is the Christian response to all of those things? How do we disciple that nation? It has to start with loving those people. And so for me, White Boy Summer is like, how do we love the most despised people group uh, and show them Christ? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that's right on. I mean, that's <laughs> that that is at the essence, right? That's that's the bottom of it all. And I, I think, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, we we have all these the, the these massive mission funds, but none of these mission funds are going to you know they they're just being, in my opinion, from what I can see, they're just being thrown down a hole when you're shipping it overseas to these places that you can't vet, can't verify, et cetera, and et cetera. Um, so it's telescopic philanthropy, telescopic philanthropy at its finest. 
Um, Charles Dickens wrote about this. It's the same thing over and over. We're going to send all this money over there instead of discipling our own people. You know, uh, America used to be discipled. What happened? What what happened? And in my opinion, we got too worried about what actually, you know, the point of salvation and not enough about the discipleship of your children. You just wanted to get them to the waters of baptism and then let them, you know, go be hellions the rest of their life. Um, we didn't yeah. carry on a lineage. We didn't. Um, yeah, it's Gnostic. It is Gnosticism because we're not actually caring for their physical well-being. We're going to be raised bodily. Therefore, we should actually, like, you know, I don't know, care about the mortal flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy. Yep. It's easy to disciple when you're rootless, right? Because uh, uh, the the rootless person has no investment. It, it's hard to stay in a place, right? It's hard to stay in a place to love the people that's around you because the people around you can disappoint you. The people around you can, you know, mess up. But that that's the whole point of of that generational vision and. So sending money and missionaries overseas is a lot easier than than being invested here, and that's and that's honestly something that's really on my heart for a while. Is I see the the amount of resources and money that's being spent to to go overseas, and then I look at the the regions of the Appalachia, right, where where drugs and just are just eviscerating whole towns, whole communities, and is there any resources going there? No. And it's not even Appalachia, it's your own town. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just... And, and you're right. You, you mean, it's weird to think about it from our frame, but you're right. It, it, the white man, the white man in America really is one of the last uh, unreached people groups in a lot of ways. Even though they're in that, at the Irons, right? Because there's a church on every corner. Well, that that's one yeah. of the one of our downfallings is that we we've given them this bare minimum gospel. They walked the aisle at the VBS when they were eight. You know, I'm I'm strictly speaking of the South. I'm sure that's you know more you know that might not be as widespread in other parts of the country. But you know, speaking just from my experience, they walk the v, walk the aisle at the VBS when they're eight. They get saved because the pastor prays over them and says, "Okay, you're going to heaven," and then they live for the next you know fifty years in total rebellion against God, you know, but whenever someone actually evangelizes to him, oh yeah, I prayed a prayer, you know, you know, 50 years ago, I'm good, I'm good, and so we have, we have Christians in name only that are functionally no better than the, well, they, they literally are the reprobate, but we can't, so, so that's that, that's one of the hardest things I think to break down right now when we are talking about that they're an unreached people group, because most people don't consider them unreached because they did attend a VBS. Okay, they did. Yeah. They they have went to church on at least two Easter's in the past decade. All right. So we're we're looking at this and we're just like, how do how do we you know it's the hardest place to evangelize. It's the hardest place to disciple. Um. So we're for myself, we're gonna have to learn to adapt to this. Well, and what and what you end up breeding is a bunch of churched people. Who after their third divorce will, will will you know criticize you for having a beer, right? And it's well, and it's it's like you know we're we're all we're all in this thing, so I'm just gonna go ahead and do it, Travis. It's like me saying the word faggot, right? 
Everybody gets mad at me saying that, right? They get all they get all butt hurt, especially the boomers. And it's like, you know, these guys literally want to take your kid and put them on hormone blockers and cut their genitalia off. And you're mad because I said faggot. Yeah. Like priorities are just out of whack. <laughs> right. That, again, I think that again, it's a it's a lack of love for the despised and a fear of the powerful. And so the institutions which are liberalized and want to, you know, uh, mutilate your children, the the churches kowtow to the liberal institutions, to the liberal media, to the liberal academics, because that is their power structure. Whereas all of these despised white people are just punished and they're just there to either uh, virtue signal through numbers, you know, of like, yep, we got five people saved this week or, you know, uh, tithe money, whatever the case is. But who are the churches serving? A lot of the times they're serving the institutions. They're not serving the poor who are the poor despised people. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why you, you don't you can excuse the sins of the liberal institution, which is mutilating children while while flogging the poor for having a drink or chewing tobacco, uh, because it's it's that's the socially acceptable thing to do. Right. But it, it again, I mean, it goes back to this whole like effeminate, um, you know, way of looking at everything, really, where, you know, the, the church kind of circled the wagons. We're we're gonna we're gonna fight against you know into the intelligentsia, which means in practice the church became very anti-intellectual, which is why nobody knows how to articulate the the doctrine of the Trinity with any kind of you know depth. Um, they become like this nagging Grammy that wants to get mad because you said the naughty word, while somebody over here is in grave sin. Oh, but you know they're fine; they're not hurting anybody. They're just, you know, they're making a mistake. It's like, no, they're not making a mistake. They're destroying themselves. They're destroying our community because they're advocating and pro and projecting degeneracy into our into our community. And we need to stop that. Well, it's yeah. like my whole argument against the casinos. You know, people people still want you know the lottery and the casinos in um in Alabama, and uh, we have Indian casinos. And as long as they stay on the reservation, that's fine. Uh, but man those things they, they don't just stay self-contained they they ruin entire areas you know um i just i mean i've seen you know the, the lottery for instance like my state's one of the last states to not adopt a lottery and i'm i'm just sitting here and i'm thinking yeah because i don't want my people to get poorer than they already are i i actually want my people to put you know that you know Fifty dollars that they're buying in scratch-off tickets every week. I would like them to put that towards something else, something more productive. And instead, they're not. You know. Um, it, but yeah, it's not self-contained. I was just going to comment on that one. I had something else I was going to say, but I, I totally lost my train of thought. Well, I think it circles back to what we've been talking about with the vision, right? The proverbs. I can't remember what it is, but the uh, there's a proverb that says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." Right, and I I 
think that is what's happening in, the, in these areas. You know, we say Appalachia. I just obviously my mind goes to the south, but it's everywhere. It's in the Rust Belt, it's in the Midwest. Um, there is no vision, right? The churches have switched from. We're not going to focus on what's going on here. We're not going to disciple our people. We're not going to teach you to disciple your family. Let's let's send X amount of dollars over to this mission board. Let's go out there. Every the mission is always out there. It's never here, it seems like. At least that's been my experience in the churches I've been in the past. But there, there is no vision. So you have people that get wrapped up in the lottery or, or you know, heroin and drugs and, and all these different things that are destroying communities because there's no vision. They don't know what that looks like to succeed. And I think at the bottom of it all, yeah, you know, White Boy Summer is, is a lot of meaning. But at the bottom of it all, too, man, there's... I, I, at least I can speak for myself, there's a real heart behind my people are perishing because they have no yeah. vision. Well, yeah. I, I remembered what I was going to say, and that comes great with what you just said, uh, in, in that the, the pastor can't disciple because he's not allowed to take that masculine role when he's behind the pulpit. Most of the time it's because the pa- you know in Baptist circles, the pastor's by himself. Okay, in Presbyterian circles, at least he has some elders to help stand behind him, but the pastor cannot, he does not have the, um, I'm not going to say the biblical authority, because he does have that, and he, sh- and he should will that with full might, but he does not have the the gumption to actually stand up to the blue-haired women in the, uh, in the um, treasury, that, that are the treasurers, to actually go out and say, no, your, your grandson is living in sin, and he should be called to repentance and discipled. We can't touch on all these sins because then the big givers will leave. And since the pastor's only making $30,000 a year and he's got $60,000 worth of student loan debt behind him, he can't afford to offend those by discipling them. You know? Discipleship is not not a a, a light thing to do. It's literally like a sharpening stone. You know, as iron sharpens iron. And uh, once you start absolutely like you know, grading against people, well, they're going to wind up leaving if, if you know, if they're not true believers, in my opinion. Well, not even in my opinion. St. John says that. Um, so, so they're going to leave out, and then, boom, they're going to take half the, half the church's budget for that month, and they're going to worry about if God's going to send another good giver. And in just, just from my outside looking in, the, whenever a church family leaves because you're being too biblical then another family is going to come in and take its place because they heard what you're doing and seems to work you know just in the the small sample groups that i'm looking at it seems to be working you know people are longing after actual discipleship they're longing for an actual tribe and they're not finding it at a lot of these churches so the ones that are actually doing the good work are growing and then the other ones are shrinking yeah. Yeah. The other side of this as well is is patriarchs, you know, like you said, equipping men to disciple their own families and to crush in their domains and, and become high status in their hierarchies. You know, when we send all this money overseas, uh, I was that little African child that many missionaries came to my country. You're not you're not teaching the local patriarchs of other countries to take over. Um, and become sovereign and disciple their own nation, because you you a lot of missionaries unfortunately 
uh, not all, but a lot of missionaries, they rely on them doing all the work so that they justify their paycheck or their support check. And so, you know, you end up just doing all the work. It's the same as, as pastors here in America. You just end up doing all the work for everybody. You know, you end up doing youth groups for the family. You end up doing, uh, you know, you're the professional Christian. And so, you know, a lot of missions don't work because you're not raising up patriarchs. And a lot of churches in America don't work because you don't like the people that should be your patriarchs. If I was yeah. going to do any type of, you know, telescopic philanthropy, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to at all. I just think most of it is complete hogwash. But if I was going to give to a, you know, to a, a mission that say, say down in Mexico or, or South America, it would have to be one that has the end goal of leaving there with, with a fully functioning church and seminary. That way they can start sending out to their own people group. Actually yep. disciple these people so that you are no longer needed and you can get back to your tribe. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, this is, you know, you you were trolling earlier in the chat, Travis, and I, I, I sent you a message all triggered. Um, <laughs> you know, the, I, I struggle with the anti-intellectualism you know, I'm I'm not calling myself an intellectual by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a dumb old swamp rat, right? Um, but you know, you you should know things. You should know things about the the, the God you profess to believe in. You should know things about um, uh, the, the the patriarchs of the faith. You should know the ideas that they were dealing with. You should know the the doctrine that they espoused. And it, it isn't just that you should have this into yourself. You know, I've got the big brain, you know, the, the, the brain's so big that I turned it into a bicycle and I'm riding down the road. That's not why you do this. You do this so that you can teach other men, so that other men can be enriched by what you know. You're supposed to always pour into other people, into your, into your tribe, into your community. You want everyone, all the men should be warriors in their own right when it comes to defending the faith, when it comes to being a man, when it comes to embodying masculinity and acting as a rightful sovereign over their, their small little kingdom that God's yeah. blessed them with. That's the goal, right? Well, and that's Right. And, and all the... The, the temporal alleviation of hardship that we, you know, we bring food to people. That's a secondary thing. That comes as, a, as well, a, an, a, an icing on the cake. Well, the, the irony, I think, too, in all this is, you know, you talk about international missions or whatever, which, again, is not a bad thing in itself, but it needs to be done in a manner which we've all talked about here, right? You, you set up the patriarchs in the community to be the ones that are going to disciple their people in the long run, right? But yeah. it's it's one of those things, the irony in it all is the, the scripture is very clear about if you do not take care of or disciple your own household, um, which by extension could be tribe, right? Um, then you're worse than an unbeliever. And it's like we overlook that and we try to minimize that to just, well, that just means, you know, if I'm not working and providing financially or something like that. No, it's a lot more than that. It, it's, it's discipling 
And, um, but, but that is our duty as men, as patriarchs, right? Um, we have a duty to disciple our family, our wives, wash them with the word, disciple our children, and by extension, our family. Because that, that's, at the end of the day, you look at scripture, that's how God grows the church. He doesn't grow the church by sending, you know, Johnny over to Saudi Arabia to disciple, you know, whoever for a couple of months uh, on a short-term mission trip. He grows the church by you being a faithful husband and a faithful father. Yeah. And, and saying, no, I'm going to raise my children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. They're going to know Christ, and then they're going to teach their children to know Christ. And by extension, it's a multiplication. And a huge part in that um, is is local economy. You know, teaching guys how to build economy and and uh, steward wealth and and build wealth and lay up an inheritance. Because one of the reasons Africa is so destroyed, one of the reasons South America is so destroyed, one of the reasons America is being destroyed, is that it is hard for a man in poverty. You know, one of the reasons that marriages break, one of the biggest reasons that marriages end in divorce is financial hardship. That get children is financial hardship and you know as christians if you want people to love their place and stay where they are and love their people there has to be economic opportunity for them to to actually flourish and thrive uh, and not you know not be in poverty or violence and so a huge part of um mission work uh you know is obviously uh teaching people the relational and moral side of christianity but you know the the economic and uh, in group preference side of Christianity. Well, we're not allowed to have in group preferences. No, we, we have to we have to buy the cheapest because that that's that's being a good steward with your money. But so we can't give um, it to the. Go ahead. Go. Yeah, oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I ruined your joke there, buddy. No, um, no, it, I mean, it wasn't a joke. It was, you know, just me be talking in irony right now is we can't have in-group preferences. You know, we, we can't go to yeah. the plumber that's in our church ask. because he's too expensive. You know, that that's the rationale well, behind everything. From the, from the, uh, you know, I, I went up to North Carolina for a couple of years. The church that oh, I was going to up there, uh, one of the guys started a uh, lawn care business um, not not a long care business, uh, a small scale utility and uh, installation business. So like he was installing, you know, small sewer, small storm, uh, things of that nature. Um, and so written into the um, documents of his the the legal documents of the founding of his business is that um, you know two things. Number one. If you work for this business, you work for this business with partial ownership. So you actually have an ownership stake in the business. And mm -hmm. the second thing is that this business is primarily for the glory of God and not for profit. So profit is a third tier uh, uh, importance level for this company. Uh, first is uh, ownership stake. And the second is honoring God. And the, the ownership stake is to the end of honoring God. Uh, any disputes in it is arbitrated by the church elders. So the, the, the beauty of this little arrangement that he's got with his business is that he goes and he hires the young boys of the church 
to work for him. And now the 17, 18 year old boy now has ownership stake in a business at 17 or 18 years old. He has skin in the game when it comes to, I'm going to run a business and work ethic shoots up because he's responsible yeah. for his actions. Uh, it's a, it's a time when, you know, before you go to work, you sit down, you pray, you read the scriptures together, you go to work on lunch, you pray, you eat together, you talk. And so it's a, it's a way for this, this older man to edify the younger men of the church. And, you know, this guy isn't his father, but he's acting as a father figure to this boy while he's working with him. And then that boy goes home, you know, to his daddy and they talk about the stuff they talked about that day. And then on church, you know, and uh, on Sunday, you know, these two families come back to church together. The boy's been working with this other guy all week and they get to have that additional layer of fellowship on top of whatever they're having Sunday morning. You know, that's a, that's a real powerful tool for, yeah. you know, uh, 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 discipling the young boys yeah. of the church. Yeah. Uh, and so you don't just do that with, um, you know, your own kids do that with the other boys of the church. If you own a business, you know, hire that guy on and make him work, you know, really work him, but work his yeah. mind while you work his body, you know? And at the same time, while you're going out, you know, and, and, you know, killing it with these, um, small businesses that you're doing, you're bringing that money into your own community and you try as much as possible to only enrich your people. So like you, um, go to the AC guy that's at your church, who's also hiring a lot of the other smaller boys, you go to the plumber at your church, who's also hiring a lot of the younger guys, et cetera, et cetera. And that, I mean, that's how you, that's how nations grow right there. I mean, that's, that's how they, they, they have done it for centuries is they only do business with their people, you know? Yeah. Um, and they'll actually take the outgroup's money, but the money stays with their people. Right. Hmm. Sounds Amish. That's right, neo Amish. <laughs> white, white boy Amish. <laughs> but you don't get much whiter than way. Amish. That's that's a good way to put it, right? I like what you said there. Uh, skin in the game. That's white boy summer. You got skin in the game. Uh, oh yeah. It starts. With, it starts with the me. Uh, Amish master race. I like that. That's not where it stops. Because we'll be on the meme. Yeah, well, I mean, the and, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about, you know, St. George and the Dragon. You know, the meme is just trying to get you to the point where you can articulate the idea, right? Yeah. You And it's a form of, of discipleship, 100% what you're saying, um, mm -hmm. or what you said earlier. You know, this is a form of touching that innermost part of the man who knows something but can't articulate it enabling that man to articulate the idea and then further qualifying when they come asking questions about it or when they dig into the community and the community is of a certain mode of being where these mm -hmm. things are natural parts of the conversation. Yeah, well, it's funny that that meme that I made, uh, St. George, I mean, the idea, that's what it was. was you know, we're talking about white boy summer. We're talking about 
all these different things, what we're going to conquer. And yeah, there was a little flair of Jordan Peterson in my mind when I, when I was thinking about it, but it, we can't do anything without first uh, making war with our sin and our lust, right? We're Christians. And at the end yep. of the day, uh, White Boy Summer, at least my White Boy Summer, is fully Christianized, fully baptized in Christ, and we can't expect to be anything outside uh, of that without first making war with our sin and our lust in our life. And that was the point of that, obviously. I'm glad that came across. Oh, okay, so to um, go on another little bit of a tangent, I just got a uh, question emailed or DM to me. Um, how would you make, how would daughters and wives play into the scenario of, you know, the Neo-Amish? Um, Luke, you made a great point about community and young men working amongst older men in business, etc., or is the focus tonight solely on White Boy Summer? I mean, tonight we're trying to focus mainly on White Boy Summer, but I think we can touch on this because what are white boys without our ladies? So how, how would y'all want to address that? Mm-hmm. What? Say, I'm sorry, read the question one more time. All right, how would daughters and wives play into the scenario like, like uh, Luke, you mentioned about, you know... Um, men are together discipling one another uh, on the job site and uh, that kind of stuff. How would how would women and uh, wives and daughters play into that? I mean, biblically, right, it's uh, some people don't like the term helpmate. Sounds kind of weird, but that's kind of what it is, right? Um, the, the wife supports the husband in his mission. And you know, white boy summer. <laughs> it's not just, again, it's not just a meme. It's a way of life. It's a, it's a mindset. It's, it's what we do. It's how we, it's how we work. It's how we disciple. It's how we raise our children. At least in my mind, uh, obviously the wife is a big part of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, it's a tough one because it is specifically white boy summer. But I think it's because we're trying to take ownership of who we are and what our role is. I don't want to disclude the wives or the women from the equation, but I don't know, have to think about that. Somebody else wants to jump in there. Well, well uh, so I think for the scenario that, uh, that we were talking about, how the wives would play into it would be, uh, take, take, for instance, while, while, the, uh, while the guys are all out there, you know, crushing it and building their empire, the wives are back at home managing the household, so they're actually being productive, okay? And managing the household is far more than, you know, just sit, staying at home all day. You're managing the finances, etc., etc. those things that have been delegated to you by the husband. And then you're also, you're getting your side hustle on if you want. You know, if you, if you don't have a ton of kids on, on your hip all the time, you're out there, you know, you're... Um, you're you're planting plant starts to go sell at the farmers market. You're tending to the garden to go sell at the farmers market. Uh, you're you're doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you think about what do the Amish women do, is that they they you know I've never been to an Amish market, but I'm just imagining what I've seen on TV, is that they're working the registers and stuff like that. They're working the produce stand while the men are out there in the field. Uh, they're making quilts. They're 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 being they're being a Proverbs 31 woman. They're making money. But they're still, it's because that's, that's an outgrowth of their home. That's an outgrowth of their domain, not your yeah. domain. And I think we must strike at the heart of feminism in this as well. 
is anytime something is done for the guys, you know, there's this tendency for everyone to be like, well, we have to do something for the girls. And it's like, no, yeah, you know, there's this, uh, this, this time period we live in right now, the male space has been so destroyed by liberalism because they know the power of the male space. And so, you know, the first thing to, to any male space, how you destroy it is, well, you know, we can't really just keep it a male space. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I've got no problem. It, it, it's sitting in the discomfort of excluding people. You know, it's, this is one of the biggest sins of liberalism is excluding people. And so we have to become comfortable with that. We have to become comfortable with not having an alternative for everyone else or not, you know, not including everyone. And so I would say, you know, for, for the ladies, I think you guys have hit on the head. They're our help meet. They're the help meet for our mission. They're the help meet for our household and our family. Um, it's on us as men to be on mission, to be um, out there fighting and building the culture and building Christendom. Uh, for whose benefit? Whose benefit is White Boy Summer? At the end of the day, the benefit is our families. At the end of the day, the benefit is our wives, our children, our communities, our people, our place. And so, you know, for me, the biggest thing in all of this is there has to be an understanding that you have to exclude people from certain things in order to get the full benefits for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's why we don't have, you know, like... If you introduce women into a male chat group, you know, you, you, that whole chat group changes. Um, if you introduce, um, you know, women into, a, into a, a, an environment where men are competing and fighting for something, the whole environment changes. Um, and I think, I think that when, as soon as we get distracted trying to cater to everybody's needs, yeah. uh, we, we get off of the fighting. I think I think a good I think a good way to think about it too is it is white boy summer is um, we're exclusive you know exclusively um, I guess aiming towards white boys right but it's not just for white boys it's uh, like you said it, it there is an extension there it is a family it is the wife it is the children. Um, but yeah, we can't be afraid to say no. You know, we we have this person in mind. We have the yeah. white Anglo boy in mind. That's who is in yeah. my mind right now. Well, it's a lot like the annual hunting trip that the that the the men the, the, the men of the tribe would go on once a year. Probably more times, you know. Back, anyways, but the tribe needs to at least have these times set apart for just men. Just the men of the tribe to get away and, and do something that's productive and that's building of camaraderie type thing. Um, so an annual hunting trip that's a male-only space. We're excluding all the women. You want to take your wife hunting later in the season, that's fine, but not today. This this, this is this is white boy hunting trip. <laughs> and, and so we're excluding them to, to better them. And yeah, that's, that's, the, right and that's the crime, right? <laughs> Well, and there's really no reason why there can't be like a white uh, a white woman spring, right? Or you know, pick another <laughs> pick another season, right? It's white, white girl fall. We got our, there our you boots go. and our Starbucks. Oh, one of those. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I thought spring would be a little bit more thematically feminine, but you know we can do whatever. 
The ladies have Hallmark in the winter. It's it's that's their time. There you go, white white woman winner. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a famous chat. I need to jump off. All right. Well, it's we getting, are uh, glad that you came on. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thanks, yeah, thank man. You so much. I'm just. Uh, Dixie Polis on uh, uh, iTunes. Are you guys on all the other platforms as well for podcast? Yes, on all um, all podcast catchers. Great. So Dixie Polis on all the on uh, all the podcasts and stuff on Telegram. Go find them on Dixie Polis. That's their channel. Um, also, uh, Wardrobe has been making some fantastic memes uh, at White Boy. Is a White Boy Summer Inc. It is. Uh, that's one channel. Yeah, I got White Boy Summer Inc. And then I got, of course, the, the Wardrobe channel too. Yeah. That's right. And and what is the Wardrobe channel? Is it Wardrobe of the Moral Imagination or just the Wardrobe? You know, I think I reduced it to just the Wardrobe. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So find these guys there. I appreciate all you chaps on the live chat, and uh, thanks for you guys on the uh, on the Telegram chat. We'll keep chatting tomorrow. All right. Cheers, chaps. All right. And uh, we're going to put a link of those all in the channel and in the uh, description when this podcast gets released. So, um, anything else anybody want to add? Go forth and conquer. Yeah. God is with you. Guys, we're going to win. Yep. We are winning. We are winning right now. Yeah, right now we're winning. Don't Don't worry about it. Just keep trekking forward. Yeah, white boy summer goes forth. And uh, I think I'll just add, um, it's not only okay to be white, it is good to be white. Amen. Amen, brother. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to dixiepolis at protonmail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Just